A quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. It was a priest who came to Felsen's village. He told us whoever went on crusade would receive blessings from the church. Remission from sin. It was the part about sin that perked young Felsen's interest. Well, that's not true. So he asks the priest, what sins would be forgiven? Would they forgive adultery? The priest says, yes. For a two-year pledge. What about theft? Yes. For a three-year pledge. So Felsen mulls it over and says to the priest, better sign me up for 10. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And as you may have guessed from the opening, we are talking about the Donovan classic from 1968, Season of the Witch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) Uh, No, we're talking about the 2011 Nick Cage movie, Season of the Witch, because it's still Nick Cage month, baby. Yep. And... There's one thing we do during Nick Cage month. We motorboat the son of a bitch. Oh, is that were you prepping me for that? I was not ready. I'll, I'll see if you. I'll see if you're gonna get there, but I don't know. We, I, we motorboat I, the son of a bitch. Andy, try not to be too upset about it. Look, you look really upset, and it just looks like you're about to cry. Where, where, my baby, my baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was crying like like uh, someone stole my baby. Wham, wham. Exactly. You know what I do. <laughs> When uh, and what I suggest that you should do when somebody steals my baby, we motorboat the son of a bitch. There we good go. advice. Okay, now we're good, good. advice. Now we're good, good advice. It's like OCD at this point. It's like you have to <laughs> hit all of them, or else I don't feel um, right about the episode. No, uh, I mean I, I think it's probably a good thing that we don't have the audio clip ready to go of him screaming the alphabet from Vampire's Kiss. I mean, I can have it for next week if you want. You can. But I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> maybe. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I love that this is a monthly tradition that we talk about Nick Cage movies. It's like my one of my favorite recurring themes. It might be my favorite recurring theme, as a matter of fact. It, no, it really is. And, and yeah, I mean, I, we both, if this is your first time listening to a Nick Cage month episode, we both really love Nick Cage. Uh, we're endlessly fascinated by him and the movies that he chooses to do. And we are, we've barely scratched the surface of his maligned oh, it, films. We perpetually have eight to 10 movies to add to the list that we could do a Nick Cage year. 
Yeah. And we wouldn't get through. Um, no, I remember, but I do remember when we were going over it and we were trying to decide the four films for this year, we were really debating it. And I, I think it was you that said, you know, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And you were like, it must be the season of the witch. It must be. Oh yeah. no. So, you know, and I I'm respected gonna, I'm that. I'm going to pack up every stitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You threatened to walk. Like you were, you were going to be out of here. Yeah, I did. Um, I love that song, by the way. I think that's just a great tune. Yeah, you, you can really tell that I love it, too, because I could not cut that down shorter. Like, that well, is too long for that to be in the intro. But that's what I was going to say, is that um, I was going to say a lesser man, and I'm going to stand by it. A <laughs> yeah. lesser man would have just used the, like, four second, must be the season of the witch snippet. Not the whole pre-chorus and chorus of, like, the last hit of the song. But you need it. I, I think you, you really need it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, in general, I think Donovan uh, doesn't get remembered as fondly as he probably should. He had a lot of great tunes. Yeah. Mellow Yellow was great. Oh, Sunshine yeah. Superman was great. Mm -hmm. um, Hurdy Gurdy Man was great. Like, he had a lot of great songs. Um, and, you know, and Season of the Witch is just another banger from uh, British troubadour Donovan. <laughs> It's always a good note, by the way, when you're doing like a little drop in bit as part of your theme song, if that drop in bit that you're doing is longer than the rest of the whole theme song. Yes. No, 100. That's that's the idea um, that I think is is that's how it should be done, that any uh, add ons and interstitial should at least double, if not triple the length of the intro. <laughs> still, it's still one of our shorter intros. The story by Nick Cage is pretty short, so it it is. It is pretty short. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Season of the Witch. Yeah, that's what we're doing, which, yeah. So it's a 2011 film that has a kind of strange journey where it was a spec script that was sold in 2000 that then through various uh companies and hands it went before finally being released in 2011 right and it marks the reteaming of former nick cage month episode uh dominic senna from gone in 60 seconds the director reteams with nick cage to bring us season of the witch and two more identical movies i cannot think of yeah, they're practically the same. They, if you haven't seen this movie, it's about uh, a former witch thief whose brother is kidnapped who has to get a list. There's a list of witches that he has. There's to, a list of six of, of <laughs> 60 witches that he has to steal in one night. Yeah. And so he and his team have to get back together to get all the witches in time. But there's one witch named Eleanor that he's never been able to capture. And she's his white witch. And yes, it, and it's know. the ultimate witch to catch. Yeah. So that's the premise. That's that's the plot of the movie. I uh, rem I think we remembered more of Gone in sixty seconds than I would have guessed before we started that. Yeah, um, and that's why uh, Nick Cage plays uh, famed witch hunter Memphis Reigns. Exactly, which is you know you would think like for the Crusades that's not a name that you would hear a lot, but I think it worked. Well, I mean, there's a Memphis in Egypt. The Crusades went to the Holy Land. It tracks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, you know, didn't probably doesn't get a lot of rain in the Egypt Memphis. Yeah, that's true. But that's why it's that's the irony. Memphis rains. Exactly. Uh, no, this movie. This is not the plot of this movie. No, at all. No. Um, this features Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman, uh, friend of the show, Ron Perlman. I'm just deciding he's a friend of the show. I bet he would like this show if he listened. To I it. bet he would like this. Show. I bet Nick Cage would like this show. Yeah, I mean, I keep sending it to Nick Cage's agent, and he keeps telling me to stop. 
but you know, I'm hoping that's just because Nick. That's because Nick Cage's agent is a dick, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> if Nick Cage actually heard this. Um, he would be on the show. Fun fact: That's the- I did, legit story. I when we first did this, I did reach out to him to see if we could have Nick Cage on the show, and got a very polite, uh, immediate decline. Hey, but you got a polite and immediate decline, as because yeah. you should have gotten ghosted. One hundred percent. The fact that he actually answered it delighted me to no end. Um, but that is, I think, the dream is to one day have Nick Cage be a guest on Nick Cage Month. I think, but I think our ultimate dream is to one day have Nick Cage in a movie that we've written. Well, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, we, we always end up pitching some excellent Nick Cage movies. I still think he'd be a hell of a Jim Ross. He would be a slobberknocker, the Jim Ross story. I think Nick Cage could play Jim Ross at many different ages. Which, for those of you who didn't hear that pitch, had Christopher Walken as Jerry the King Lawler. No notes. Yeah, Exactly. And- uh, and Paul Giamatti is Paul Heyman because mm-hmm. that's the only person that can play Paul Heyman in a in a wrestling movie. And uh, just to finish it, there is only one man that we have ever pitched to play Vince McMahon. There is only one Vince McMahon, and that is Christopher Harry Ma- Styles. <laughs> it's not Harry Styles. <laughs> it's Christopher McDonald. You put some respect. Yeah, no, Christopher McDonald for sure is the one and only person to be cast as Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'll be curious, because uh, I'm sure inevitably we will be doing Iron Claw uh, come January, the movie about the Von Erichs. I'm excited for that movie. I, I'm very curious. I, think I, I am too. I, I um, am a big world-class fan. Uh, I wonder if there's a Vince McMahon character in it. He's not in the cast list last time I checked on IMDb. What's but... the... I mean, would, he, would Vince McMahon be in it? Like, I'm not exactly sure what all it's covering in that film. Well, it's. I think it's just a general like through line of the Von Erich family through their ups and downs in the eighties and nineties. And Carrie Von Erich did wrestle in WWF, so it might just be like a little cameo or something, right? Even. Something. Yeah. Um. I mean, I. But who knows? Um. And hopefully, it's Christopher McDonald. I also here's my real hope. I'm gonna throw this out there. I hope we don't talk about it on the show because I hope it's good. Yes. No. Same. I would love it to be good. I really do hope it's good. Um. But I would also we'll. But maybe we'll still talk about it because we just want to. Yeah. Someday I dream of a world, Andy, where we watch movies that we like. and We talk about them. (laughs) There will be no such day because we have to talk about movies like Season of the Witch. Right. And the reason that we're not allowed to talk about movies that we like is because in the uh, 13th century, I think, uh, there was uh, three witches who were uh, captured and uh, thrown over a bridge and that one of them came back to life and cursed us to have to talk about maligned movies. Uh, yeah, and then turned into a demon. And then turned into a demon. Yeah, okay, so let's actually <laughs> set up this movie, which I kind of just did. But that's basically the premise. There is a witch that came back to life and then cursed people. And then Nick Cage and Ron Perlman fought in the Crusades. But then they, turns out, get this. The Crusades, they thought, were bad. Hot take. Hot take. And they quit. They they had a, are we the baddies moment? They did when they were killing uh, women and children. And they were like, maybe we should stop this. And then they sort of wandered aimlessly until uh, the Catholic Church still found them and made them go on this one final quest. Where they had to one take one final crusade, well, a last crusade, if you will, a last crusade, uh, where they had to take a uh, future star of British television 
uh, across the land to be judged as to whether or not she is in fact a witch. And weirdly, as you alluded to, the twist question mark of this film called Season of the Witch is that she's not in fact a witch. She's possessed by a demon. Yeah. I think more as you do. Look, more movies should just throw out their premise right at the end of the third act and just be a different movie. Why not? You watch a zombie movie. They're not zombies. They're actually Frankensteins. Yeah, they're a whole bunch of Frankensteins and they're led by an army of Draculas. Yeah, just big twist at the end. Nope, we were kidding. We're not zombies this whole time. Season of the Demon. That's an interesting title for a movie or a Donovan song. It's a little harder. It, I don't think it, Donovan could have done it because he was a professional. If anybody could. It's it's yeah. it's Donovan. But um, it also just yeah. sounds like a Finn Balor theme song. Season of the Demon. Yeah. <laughs> that Jim Johnston writes <laughs> Season of the Demon. It's just a bunch of bass and MIDI synths. Yeah. Um, I, can I have like, this is a total tangent. So forgive me because we don't normally do this. On, on this show, Joel. Are you sure? But look, have I, you been possessed by a demon? I just want to say I have tremendous respect for Jim Johnson, the greatest theme song writer to ever exist. But if you ever noticed, this is my big conspiracy theory. I'm revealing it for the first time here on this show that if you slow down Stone Cold Steve Austin's epic theme song, that it's just the same exact theme song that Razor Ramon had. Yeah. Yeah. Just nobody ever calls that out. And I'm here to call it out that Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme, as good as it is, the broken glass, the you just slow that down. You slow that down and it's, it's Razor Ramon. He's just, he's coming out to the exact same music, but slower because he walks slower. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, sorry to have to call you out, Jim. No, it's but... important. It's important. It's people gotta know. Yeah, people gotta know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, season of the witch. Um. Just why? Yeah, like why not make her a witch? Well, it's just it feels bad faith. You know what I mean? Like you don't. You're signing up for Season of the Witch. It, it takes place during the Crusades. It's And here's the other thing. The reveal. So was the other lady not a witch or was she a witch? Did the plague happen because of a witch or was that a demon as well? Because What even is a witch in this movie? Yeah. So you, everything becomes confusing by this reveal. But yeah, why? It, it added nothing. I think they wanted to find a way to save... Claire Foy in the end, the I, who I believe is just called the girl or until she reveals her name in like the last line of the film is I'm Anna. Yeah. Which is important. Anna banana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm Anna banana future queen. Yes. Um, but yeah, this like, so this movie isn't good. Like I like, you know, just cards on the table. We're going to, we're going to put it all out there. I'm going to, I think, I'm going to say, too, because we haven't mentioned it until this point. I was reading they did reshoots and the man they brought in to do reshoots on this film was Brett Ratner. And that is baffling to me. And yeah, significant reshoots. Yeah, because, you know, when your film's in trouble, you know who you want to turn to? Famous Hollywood fixer, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. You know how, remember how Brett Ratner looked at the, those two X-Men movies and was like, I can come in and fix those in the third one. 
Yeah, you know those two beloved uh, kicking off the superhero genre as a force in cinema movies. I'm going to fix all those problems in the third one. Or like the time that he was like, you know, Silence of the Lambs. I'm going to fix that in this prequel. (laughs) Oh, God. Did he do Red Dragon? He did do Red Dragon. I didn't hate Red Dragon. Full disclosure. Okay. I mean, it's not good, but I didn't hate it. I liked it better than Hannibal. I liked it better than uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Oh, it's definitely better than X-Men 3. There's there's no debate <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah, I just, um, I found that very, I don't know. It just, you know what I mean? It's a strange thing <laughs> to be like, uh, we found your film uh, a, a little confusing and, and hard to follow. And we didn't think the acting was great. So we brought in Tommy Wiseau to shoot some pickups. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we thought your your movie was uh, way too over the top and uh, needed some subtlety. So we hired Michael Bay. <laughs> there were too many 360 camera spins. <laughs> cam- cam- just tele- telezooms. And, uh, you know, we thought your movie just had way too much existential dialogue and quirky behavior. So to fix it up, we brought in Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Which, by the way, too, with the Brett Ratner thing, because what I was reading, too, is that the the principal photography was shot on location and the Brett Ratner stuff was shot in front of a green screen, which makes it pretty obvious that the opening stuff, the crusade battles were shot by Ratner. And I just want to point out, because it was one of the first things that I noticed when I started watching this film. I don't know what happened. I guess it's just because it was the reshoots or whatever. But. Nicholas Cage's hair is significantly worse in those opening scenes, like whatever wig that they have on him. I, well, yeah, because he was younger in those scenes and his hair was worse. And then he got older and learned how to manage his hair. Oh, uh, he quit doing the crusades to really focus on uh, proper. He was taking vitamins well, and waft. Yeah, like really get yeah, his hair that's washed. All it was. OK, you know what? Then I take I rescind it. The perfectly yeah, logical. As you should. Um. Yeah, weird choice to bring in Brett Ratner for reshoots. It's very funny to me. I mean, I'll I, say that. I, it makes me chuckle, <laughs> for sure. I would be um, so offended if they were like, yeah, you know, Joel and Andy, look, um, you know, we've been watching uh, back the, you know, the assembly cut of the film. We just think it needs some pickups. And we'd be like, yeah, sure, we totally, we get it. So we're going to bring in a professional to just oversee it and to shoot some stuff for you. Brett Ratner. I would probably punch the guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm turning over a table for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a there's a, a light tantrum. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Some some light tantruming would happen. Uh, but let's talk about the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I think is a problem for this movie is that it should have been all supernatural fantasy or none supernatural fantasy. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that, too, that it felt like there was some part of the movie that was interested in exploring the idea that maybe she wasn't a witch and that this was all get this a witch hunt. Ooh. see, and here's the other thing that bothers me is that they could have solved all of this in the first act by just putting her on a scale with a duck. Yeah, that's how you figure that out. You know, and if she weighed the same as a duck, then she's made out of wood. And if she's made out of wood, then she's clearly a witch because you can burn both witches and wood. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's soundless logic. I mean, that's yeah, they figured that out. You know, I don't know why they didn't do that. I guess I guess you have to fill the runtime. You know, to, it'd be a short film if they just wait her next to a duck. Um, but I guess that maybe that wouldn't work because she was actually a demon possessed by a demon and not a witch. And we don't know the rules for that. Nobody does. Okay. Yeah, we don't know. Is uh, like our witches in this in this, uh, you know, fake history. Are witches women possessed by demons? Are they women with magic powers? Can I ask Are a they question? Hermione Granger? I don't know. Can I ask a question if we're really pulling threads at the, the premise of this movie? So uh, uh, a demon possessed Anna because... Anna Banana. Because it needed to get to where this book was because it wanted to get possession of the book. Yeah. So it was in control of her. Yep. Why didn't it just go there? <laughs> Or, or why not possess someone in the room where the book is? Yeah. Maybe there's rules that demons can only possess girls. I mean, that seems sexist. It does seem sexist. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it didn't know exactly where the book was, but it figured that if it possessed someone, then it would get put in the room with the book because the book could. Wherever it took them would be where the book was. Like how Joker got himself arrested so that he could trigger the bomb so that he could get uh, Han. Look, I'm glad we're finally talking about this because (laughs) that scene, great. I love that scene. It's iconic. But man, did it ruin movies for like 10 years because everybody saw it and it made sense for the Joker, who's an unpredictable character. And it made sense in that particular situation. But then we had to watch essentially a decade of films just be like, I want to do that. And so now all of a sudden... For some reason, Loki's getting captured in the first Avengers movie because that's part of his plan. And there was that and one. Silva's getting pack- captured in James Bond. Exactly. That's part of his plan. And they, it's they none of them make any sense because they all just wanted to do the it's part of his plan bit. Well, yeah. And like that's even like if you really turn a microscope on the Dark Knight, like even Joker's plan is a little iffy. Like I said, I think it. It goes because he's the Joker, because he doesn't. Sure. He's chaos. So he would have a circuitous plan that doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll buy that with that character. I mean, look, we're not here to reassess uh, the Avengers, which I don't know if you can tell. I just rewatched. But uh, I actually just rewatched it, too. I've been watching the Marvel movies again. Nice. But uh, there's so much of that plot does not make sense now because Thanos had two infinity stones and he gives them to Loki to get another infinity stone. Well, he gives one to Loki to get the second one ends up losing both of them. But that's what I mean. It's why when then you watch Infinity War and he just goes around and gets them. And it's like, you should have just done that the whole time. Yeah, you could have done that way before there were ever adventures. Yeah. Which, I mean, it goes to, like, one of the common traits of Thanos in the comics, and this is very related to Season of the Witch, mind you. Yeah, this is... Um, is is that he, like, his fatal flaw is that he's self-defeating, is that he sets him up... He he doesn't actually want to win. Yeah. And so that's, that maybe that's it. But anyways... I'm very um, disappointed that he isn't trying to have sex with death in this movie, in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows what he did on uh, the, the garden for that... That's true. Once two he, weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, who's a character that I love 
in the Avengers film, especially when I go back and rewatch Infinity War, I think is a very moving story of hers. The Scarlet Witch. Speaking of witches. Season of the Witch. <laughs> uh, but no, I think going back to our original point, like this movie should have been all supernatural or non-supernatural. 100%. Instead of, yeah, yeah. instead of a sprinkle at the beginning and a sprinkle in the final act. Yes. And then... <laughs> A very, here's what's crazy too about this movie this movie is like 90 some minutes long and it felt long wait it wasn't four and a half hours <laughs> right i actually felt like they were traveling in real time yeah um well because like the scene that they give the most time to in the whole movie is them crossing the bridge which I look, we're not at the silver linings yet, but I did enjoy that scene. I know I did too. I thought yeah. it was really fun. I really liked it, but uh, it was just weird, weirdly paced movie. Yes, where it's just a lot of you get all the setup, and then they're just traveling, but not a lot happens while they're traveling for a long time. Well, yeah, and also like the most interesting movie in this story. Is Nick Cage and Ron Perlman just killing dudes in the Crusades? Yeah. That's a better movie right there. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Like, and then abandoning it. And then, yeah. And then, like, the third act is them, like, realizing the error of their ways and abandoning it. And then roll credits. Yeah. They just walk away. They turn in yeah, their badges it, and guns. Yeah. And in, in much the same way that, like, the best part of uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine is that opening sequence with them fighting through all the wars. And then the movie's just terrible after that. Like, that would have been fun to see that movie. Yeah. not It was not fun to watch the, the rest of the movie. The movie they made wasn't fun no. at all. No. I do love um, that they, they gave him a bunch of chances. They were like, we can, we can make a Wolverine movie. You just wait. All it's right. Like, all right we, okay, we made one awful one. Okay, now we're... Let's make another one. The right, Wolverine. This one was, the Wolverine this was... It's better. Plus. It was better. It's a solid C plus B minus. <laughs> we can do... What if he's old and dying? That's the good one? <laughs> That's the amazing Oscar-nominated screenplay. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Um, what yeah, we're like, saying is if they made Season of the Witch two more times, I think we'd get... That's what I think needs to happen. I think they <laughs> need to make two more Seasons of the Witch... Uh, well, they could make four seasons of The Witch. Oh, that's good. They could do spring, yeah. summer, fall, and winter. Yeah. All four seasons of The Witch. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie is just paced bizarrely. I love, like, even in the beginning when they're like, all right, only you two can take her to the Abbey to be, uh, you know, exercised. And these three guys. That was only strange. Only you two. And these three guys. That was strange. And then also one, like, you two are in our jail and also this other guy who's in the stocks. Those are the three people that we're trusting <laughs> to go. And then a young, you know, just turned of age man and a priest. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be just you two. And then, you know, while we're talking about just weird choices, famed British actor. Let me rephrase that. Renowned British actor. Wait, let me try that again. British that guy, Stephen Graham. <laughs> doesn't use a British accent in this movie. Nope. And it, that's why uh, it took me longer than it should have to figure out who he was in this. Yeah. I was like, I um, know I recognize that guy, but it's not clicking. 
Uh, he was Tommy in Snatch. Mm-hmm. He was Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Um, good actor. I like him a lot, actually. Stephen Graham. I really think he's a good actor. And he's really fantastic in Snatch. I, that's a good movie. It's. I love that movie. Yeah. yeah it. Um. Yeah, it's excellent. But yeah, Stephen Graham in a movie when perpetually Hollywood has decided that if you're filming a movie in the olden times, people speak with modern British accents. Yeah, which and Nick Cage had more of a British accent than he did. Yes. And it was a weird choice. Yeah, I which that brings me to another thing to malign. Obviously, this is Nick Cage month. Obviously, a lot of times, if not the majority of the time, a huge silver lining is always Nicolas Cage, who I almost always who I always would go to bat for and say gives at least in his mind, the exact right performance that the film needs. Yes. You cast Nick Cage in this movie and you didn't really give him anything to do. No, he's just in the movie. And same thing you cast Ron Perlman and he's just in the movie. Yeah, you got so much value added because they're both great actors who are fun to watch. But you, there's like a little hint at some. I, and honestly, to your point with the Crusades thing, I think the best bit that they had together was the who's buying drinks after this thing. Where that it's little like, banter was great. Yeah. yeah. And it's like they're having a competition to see who can, you know, defeat more people on the battlefield. Like all of that was interesting, but you don't really have much for them. You don't really explore their relationship or their dynamic as this unfolds. You get a little bit of it when they're locked up together. But as the the quest unfolds, I don't know. They should be on different pages or something. They don't really or peas in a pot, I guess. But it's just they, they, they're just both kind of there and they don't really have interesting conversations. Well, and then even in the end, when uh, Ron Perlman's character gets burned alive while hugging the demon, which is weird. Um, that's a sentence I love that I just said. Mm-hmm. And it's ab- absolutely accurate. Yep. It, no, 100 percent. That happened. <laughs> um. Uh, by the way, burned alive while hugging a demon is the title of my autobiography. <laughs> uh, it follows which, the rise of Macking It with Andy Mack, the podcast, and and goes on. Which also, you have to buy the book to find out that title makes sense. But we won't give the it away makes here. A lot. Of, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you. Yeah. But once you read the book, you're like, oh. And it's not what you think. It's not. You could you could guess you could make a hundred guesses and you probably wouldn't get it. But if you made a hundred and one guesses, you might get you it. Almost you almost certainly would get it. Yeah, after on that hundred and first <laughs> guess. Yeah, but a hundred and no chance. Yeah, you could guess a make a hundred guesses. Zero for a hundred, you would go. Yeah, you might be one for a hundred and one. Yeah, and if you had a hundred and two guesses and you don't get it. Come on. What is wrong with you? What are you doing with your life? Yeah. What is happening? Get it together. Figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. Um, But also to that point, too, though. uh, No, sorry. The point I was making with that is that Nick Cage was like kind of upset. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then he gets murdered by the demon. Well, he doesn't have a lot of time to process it because he is also going to be killed by the demon. Yes. He gets stabbed by her wing claws. But here's the thing, too. Why not have because these you've decided to make it about possessions at the end, last minute decision. Uh, and so if you're going to do that and you've established that they're friends, 
why not possess Ron Perlman and have him attack Nick Cage so that the conflict is that Nick Cage has to fight Ron Perlman, which he doesn't want to do. I would watch a movie that was just Nick Cage fighting Ron Perlman. Yeah, in any context. Even if it was just a real life, like, put them in the octagon, have them fight. I'd watch that movie. You know what I want? I don't know why. This is immediately what I thought of when we started talking about it. I want to see them fight in a grocery store for like the last Trader Joe's frozen dinner that they both are (laughs) reaching for. And it's one of those weird Trader Joe's frozen dinners, like where it's like kind of ethnic and you're like, this is a little weird that it's like, you're really going to eat the sog paneer from Trader Joe's (laughs) like that's your go to. Yeah. But they they're both reach for it at the same time. And we've seen up until that point that they're both having a terrible day and they just want to get home and they just want to make this sad TV dinner alone. And they both reach for it. And it's just an all out brawl. And here's the thing is we see their sad days in two six minute montages. Exactly. Yeah. And then the the remaining 84 minutes of the runtime. It's yeah. It's like <laughs> if you liked that scene in um, they live, they live where they fight. It's that but way longer. It's that. But for a little more than an hour. Also, weirdly, Nick Cage is trying to get Ron Perlman to put on a pair of sunglasses, but it's not clear why. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's. <laughs> Um, and that's actually the prequel to the rock, uh, Trader Joe's movie that we pitched a year or two years ago. Yeah, exactly. The end credits. We just see the rock, uh, who's been afraid to break it up the whole time. Because if you remember the pitch for that movie, everybody that he can't actually fight. Right. So he's been cowering. He's just terrified watching Nick Cage and Ron Perlman just brawl nonstop. Yeah. And at one point they they go outside of the Trader Joe's or fighting in the parking lot, which is if you've ever been in a Trader Joe's parking lot, cars are just flying at them. It is because there's one lane that works. Yeah, it's just chaos. It's making things even worse. They fight all the way there back into the store. And yeah, it's like you said, it's 84 minutes and it's, you know, you want want to talk about a world of chaos. Um, So I live in Columbia, Maryland. And the Trader Joe's in Columbia, Maryland, is right next to the Costco gas lines. Oh, no. It is a it is just a night. It is it is a it is a raucous sea of humanity at any point of the day. I, I, this is more for the for all of my L.A. peeps out there. But if you just threw an in and out burger right next to that, you would <laughs> never have traffic move. Yeah, it would just stop. <laughs> People would just live there. That's all it would be. Yeah. Um, I don't understand, by the way. They make one thing at In-N-Out Burger. It's the same burger. It's not. You can customize it a little bit, but they have one menu item, and those lines are unfathomably long. Like, yeah, it's not like you could like. Ooh, do I want a burger? Do I want a chicken sandwich? Do I want a taco? No, it's it's. How many patties do you want on your burger? And yeah, what, and what, do, what's going on top? And do you want Russian dressing on it or not? Yeah, and that's it. You would think they would just assembly line be pumping those out. You yeah. would think it'd be the shortest line at any fast food place. It'd just be zoom, zooming through. It's but not like no, they're it's... taking time to salt those fries. That's right. I'm coming for In-N-Out. I have lived here long <laughs> enough that I, it's trash. In-N-Out is trash. It's a hot take. It is, and I'm standing by it. I am from the East Coast, and you eat a Five Guys burger and an In-N-Out burger, and you look me in the eyes, and you tell me In-N-Out is better because you're wrong. It's true. It's, I, someone has to say it. Someone – I mean, listen. I've had In-N-Out. 
I've enjoyed in and out. I don't cr- I don't wish there were some on the eastern seaboard. It's fine where it is. Let it be the thing. Look, and to be clear, when I still ate meat, I don't eat meat anymore. But if someone had handed me an in and out burger, I would eat it. But I would never wait in line for it. No, yeah, the only times I've eaten in and out, it's been because there's no line. We're like, oh, let's the hey, look, there's no line. Let's go. So they were closed then. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> we broke in. <laughs> and somehow you were way faster. You were like, this is really yeah. intuitive. I can do this very quickly. It's like, I don't even know what animal style means, but I think I just made it animal style. They were actually going to press charges against you, but every in and out employee was so fascinated by watching the security footage because they're like, wow, look at this guy move. He's so efficient. <laughs> How's he and, doing it? And that's why I'm now the CEO of in and out yeah, we're here to announce it. And that's why I'm I'm really taking Andy down a peg on this episode. He's, he's, it's, it's jealousy is yeah, what yeah. it is. It's pure and simple <laughs> jealousy. Um, exactly. <laughs> that he's just coming at me. Yeah. Let's pivot and talk about the good stuff. I, there's, I, I, we could bash a lot about this movie. I don't want to talk about the bad stuff. I want to talk about the good stuff. Is that, that good with you? That bridge scene. That bridge scene. How is how is crossing a bridge the most interesting scene in the entire movie? By a mile. Like that scene was good. I like I was so into it. And it's like no part of me thought that, you know, this witch is going to the bridge is going to collapse and she's fallen. But I don't know. In the moment, I was like, ooh, I don't don't know. Like it kind of felt like when you watch Oregon Trail and it's like we're going to ford the river and and cross (laughs) cross when you're playing it. Or it's just like you're going to take that cart across this rickety bridge and I, it was legit tense and i was very into it oh yeah like because the movie still had at least 45 minutes left <laughs> i knew they were gonna make it right but it still it felt really tense because it was that thing too where nick so the scene it's like they get to this bridge this bridge it looks like the the bridge from indiana jones or like it looks yeah, like a bridge, bridge from the end of temple of doom 100 percent. yeah it's like a bridge that is designed to collapse in this scene 100 percent. it's missing wooden planks but nick cage starts crossing it with his horse and he's like soothing the horse and he's going really yeah, slowly the horse did not want to cross that bridge but he's going he's going real slow and he's taking the horse across and he's guiding the horse like oh don't step there you got to step around this part come on easy easy fella and you watch it and you're like okay yeah this is great this is really tense and then it's like okay now everybody's gonna do that and we're gonna take the wagon across and it's like what this is insane that you're like, this was so hard for one person to do with one horse. And you're now saying they're all going to replicate that. Yeah, it was weird that they took the time to show every single crossing, including a shot for shot remake of Nick Cage crossing with the horse of him crossing with Ron Perlman. Yeah, insane. Just soothing him the whole way. Feeding Ron Perlman an apple. <laughs> Easy, big Phil. Easy. That's <laughs> 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 great. Um, the only question I have about that scene and that didn't make sense to me, other than I guess they needed a reason to slice the one dude's hands open and have him have open wounds for the wolf attack in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, why did they need to set up the pulley thing with the tree and the rope and the cart? That didn't make sense to me. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't exactly follow the logic, but I, I assumed it was something to do with trying to get the cart across more efficiently or maybe take some of the weight 
off of the cart on the you see the the full weight of the cart but i I don't exactly know i'm with you that like it, it, they didn't exactly explain the engineering logic behind why they're all pulling ropes to pull the cart across and why that would help uh, and the other thing is like they were a pretty well stocked caravan of stuff they had gloves yeah or something you could put something on the hands uh also the other thing is, like, there is a line of dialogue, which I find utterly absurd, which is, uh, I don't remember the, I think it, what's his, Hagamar? Is that uh, Stephen Graham? Stephen Graham, yeah. Where, because the whole reason that they're bringing him is because he's been here before. And he, they're talking about the bridge, and they're like, why didn't you tell us about the bridge? And he says something like, I haven't been here in a long time, where it's like, but what? <laughs> that bridge couldn't have looked much better. Like, you know what I mean? The problem is not that the bridge is like, yes, it's missing some planks now, but there was never a version of that bridge that wasn't going to be a problem for them. No, that's not like that bridge was the Verrazano Narrows Bridge in New York City and then became the thuggy bridge in Temple of Doom. Yeah, it was always a sketchy bridge that was always going to be a problem, but he confidently tells them, well, I haven't been here in a long time. It's like that. Those ropes were way better 17 years ago when I was here before. <laughs> yeah. So I, I found that funny. But uh, but no, that scene is really good. I like that scene. No, it's it's really well edited. It's really well shot. Like, it's a lot of tension. It's it's a good scene. Yeah. Um, The wolf attack was fun. Wolf attack was fun. I did the opening clip that we played the the where they're all kind of hanging out and Nick Cage tells that story I thought was the most charming that Nick Cage got to be in the movie where like that was a funny story and I feel like it shared a lot about his relationship with Ron Perlman we got to say because you get Perlman in the background be like that's not what happened like no come on man like he's he's trying to shut it down like they they have banter and they have like you know and it shows their rapport like it it shows and doesn't tell, which is what good movies should do. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed that scene a lot. I did like right after that when the guy saw his daughter and then got stabbed. Actually, there's one thing Joel loves. It's watching people get stabbed after seeing their daughters. Yeah, it doesn't happen as often as you would think in movies. But when it does. <sighs> that is, it's, it's, a, it's a big one for Joel. <laughs> um... <laughs> It was yeah, a like, really weird choice in Meet the Parents, by the way. Yeah, really weird choice in Meet the Parents. With that scene, well, nobody talks about the scene where De Niro is stabbed. Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, and the fact that it happens in the first act, and he just has a stab wound the rest of the movie. And that it's Owen Wilson that does it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Wow. Stab you. <laughs> wow, oh, wow. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> you, you're going to stab me? You're going to stab me? <laughs> We all know this scene. Yeah, we yeah, all know Yeah, it's a classic scene. Yeah. Right up there with, uh, I got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? It's right after that. Yeah. And then, and then we only, again, if you don't remember, the end of that scene is Greg going like, I mean, I can, but Jesus, why are you bleeding so much? <laughs> <laughs> ben Stiller nailed that line, though. Yeah, he really did. It's hilarious. It's cr- I'm like, not doing it delivery. justice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we clearly do impeccable De Niro's and Owen Wilson's. Neither of us have a good Ben Stiller. It's harder to do Ben Stiller. Yeah. He's a, he's a tougher impression. I would I would agree with that. Yeah, there's not as much to latch on to, I feel like. Yeah. Um, I like Zoolander, you could do an impression of, but that's a character. That's not like how Ben yeah. Stiller actually acts. You can do an impression of Ben Stiller's Bruce <laughs> Bruce Willis, <laughs> which is also good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this like... 
man, I wanted there to be something more to latch onto in this movie. I was hoping that there'd be like one of those Nick Cage scenes and there really wasn't. I mean, this is stretching it, but I did get excited when uh, Rory McCann showed up for five seconds in the beginning. Of yeah, the movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Christopher Lee. I love Christopher Lee. Yeah. Christopher Lee's blink and you'll miss it cameo. As uh, I guess Cardinal D'Ambrose. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was his name. Yeah, it was covered in pus. Yeah, I made the mistake of uh, looking at the cast list before I watched the movie. So I got really excited that Christopher Lee was in it. And then it was like, oh, oh, that's okay. He has eight lines. Sure. He never says McGregor once. I was very disappointed. Yeah, and uh, he doesn't say, who do you serve? (laughs) And put a white hand on someone's forehead. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, those are... Those are kind of the things. Yeah, I mean, like, no, the the bridge scene is great. Like, it's legitimately a a really well-made scene from start to finish. I will say, Um, I mean, I'm baffled by the end, which is a different movie than we're promised. But I thought a lot of that stuff was fun. Like the. Yeah, like it, it. They clearly didn't have the budget left to make it look good, but it was fun. Yeah, there was some good. Uh, bits happening in that that final battle. The the yeah, the, the demon that hugs you to death uh, didn't look great, but no. Um, and you know, like it's pretty obvious that Claire Foy is going to turn into a good, it, a big star. Like she's you know early on in this movie, like she's good. Well, yeah, I mean, if people don't know, it, the Crown just watched this, and they they didn't even make her audition. They were like, "We don't get us the girl." That's our Queen Elizabeth <laughs> from Season of the Witch. Like we can see, no, we everything we need is right here. It's like they have they had they had a thousand actresses lined up to audition, and someone just happened to have this on on Tubi in the background, and they're like, "Oh wait, well, send them home. <laughs> we, we we have our queen." <laughs> yep yeah so you know so that's a that's obviously a big silver lining um you know and i love ron perlman i'm happy when he's in anything ron perlman is the best yeah he is clearly does not give one iota what he gets cast in doesn't care one iota he's like yeah i'll do it I think he's excited anytime he does something like this because he doesn't have 10 pounds of like makeup and prosthetics on his face, which he's very good at playing stuff like that. But it's always nice to see to actually get to see Ron Perlman like without stuff on his face, just getting to act. Yeah. Also, just Um, one of the most effortlessly convincing badasses there is, you know, where he has range, but it's like you see him and you immediately buy that like he is a force to be reckoned with right it's like the only person that has similar charisma is danny trejo <laughs> yeah 100 percent. which is like it's one of those things when i watch sons of anarchy uh which I, we could do the whole thing about that show and how i didn't like it but uh i, I think the biggest thing is i just watching it like okay well, it's him versus jacks but like come on like what's come, Jack's come, gonna do? What's come, Charlie Hunnam gonna do against this guy? Like, come yeah, on! <laughs> on Charlie Hunnam's best day, he's not beating Ron Perlman. No, on none of our best days are we beating Ron Perlman, except maybe Nick Cage. But we're not telling you. You have to watch the movie. Yeah, gotta gotta watch uh, Cage v Perlman. <laughs> Which, oh, because that's the other thing. We didn't say it, but they're playing themselves. Oh, you know, they're definitely playing themselves in this movie. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. It's, it's like you literally just see them both have bad days. Okay, but you know what? Six minute montages. You know, 
Andy, should we give him a little bit of the third act twist? I think people deserve to know. Yeah. In the third act, they they have a little face-off thing and they become each other. So you get to see Ron Perlman playing Nick Cage playing Ron Perlman. And you get to see uh, Nick Cage playing Ron Perlman playing Nick Cage. Give us the Oscar. Yeah, we'll take it right now. Just don't even bother. It's coming out in 2025. It's coming out in 2025. And I swear to God, if you put Brett Ratner anywhere near our sets, I will flip a table. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Where, where, my baby, my baby.